I talked to the rescuers, and some of the things that they told me were she didn't have any abnormalities with buoyancy. She was actually swimming away from them, and they said, you know, she wasn't easy to capture. So that was somewhat encouraging to me, and I could tell that this wound wasn't exactly brand new. She had been living with this for at least days, if not a few weeks. Um, So it was pretty messy, but once you get past the initial shock of looking at it, I really looked for, okay, is there anything here that tells me there's no way I can save this animal? And I thought maybe there's hope for her. Hi, I'm Cindy Simmons, and this is See the World with Cindy Simmons. The whole goal of this podcast is to take you on an eye-opening journey and see the world through the lens of animal rescue, care and conservation, thrilling family adventures, and interesting people. November is Manatee Awareness Month, and being in Florida, I love me some manatees. They have become my new favorite species. And speaking of species, this species is currently facing many threats, which makes my heart just sad, like food and habitat loss, entanglements, and boat strikes, just to name a few. So today, we want to share a truly incredible story of a special manatee mother and her calf that were rescued earlier this year. So today, we're going to talk to Dr. Stacy DiRocco, one of our lead veterinarians, and Ashley Kilo, one of the animal care specialists who oversees the manatee's day-to-day care, just to kind of get an inside look on the rescue and rehabilitation of this mom who is fighting for her life. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us. I'm happy to talk about this case. I really, you know, and I hate that it, it makes my heart already just feel so heavy, but it's such an important, um, you know, conversation that we need to have because I think raising awareness about this is so important. Um, so I kind of want to get right into what is this situation? Like what happened with her over the summer? So I I think there's um, some backdrop to this story that makes it even more remarkable. And that is that this was actually the second time this particular manatee was rescued. Um, Many people might not know that uh, back in January of 2022, there was a group of manatees who were trapped on the wrong side of a lock uh, along the east coast of Florida. And so rescue efforts um, were sent to relocate these animals, get them back to where they weren't trapped behind the lock, and they could continue to forage. And uh, there was an adult female manatee at the time who looked fantastic, which uh, is was great to see in a time when so many manatees are starving. And um, she she appeared to be pregnant. So it was kind of an uplifting story at the time. (laughs) But unfortunately, six months later, five months later, uh, that very same manatee was in big trouble. How did you find out it was the same one? So many of these animals are known by um, particular markings. And um, Ashley can probably tell you more about what they what they do um, and how they how they photograph these animals and track them. There's a lot of volunteers and, uh, of course, FWC that's following a lot of these animals out there. And so they have distinguishing markings. And unfortunately, a lot of them are because of boat strikes, whether it be old boat strikes or new boat strikes. A lot of that scarring will never go away. And that's how you can ID them out in the wild. And then, of course, here, if it is going to be a a releasable animal at some point, we will use um, pit tags, which is like a microchip. And so you can always scan that animal and it will read a number And that number will correlate to where it was rehabbed at. So for ours, it'll say like SWF, which is SeaWorld Florida. 
Oh, okay. So where was she found this time? Uh, this time she was rescued by FWC in Edgewater, Florida. And was it a boat strike? We believe so. Um, the injury that she came in with was so severe. It's, it's very hard to say it was not a boat strike, right. but neither myself nor uh, Dr. Duraco were out there watching her at that point in time. I don't know if anyone actually ever saw it happen, but looking at it um, and when she's coming in, there's really no other explanation but boat strike. So Ashley, how do you and Dr. Duraco get involved? Like how does SeaWorld get involved? And then how did you get her to SeaWorld Orlando? Uh, SeaWorld's involved with a lot of the manatee rescues. We're part of the MRP, um, which is a group of um, different uh, zoos, different rescue facilities that help rescue rehab. And then, of course, the ultimate goal is to release manatees back out into the wild. Um, So we're a part of that. So when it comes to this particular animal, this animal is rescued in May um, by FWC. FWC will typically call us um, and ask one, if if they need help with a rescue, they'll ask if we can send a crew out for a rescue. If they don't need assistance in the actual rescue, then they will ask if we have room um, at our rehab facility to take in this mom and her calf. So since it's a, a dependent calf, you're not going to separate the two at that point. So Ashley, you're an animal care specialist. Is it just manatees that you are working with or what other types of animals? And how long have you been doing that? Uh, no. So for us on the rescue team, we t- intake anything that would be a rescue into this park. So manatees are pr- our number one mammal. We also do cetaceans. So your dolphins, uh, sea turtles. And then at one point we did do birds, but with the avian flu that has uh, taken place over Florida and other states, of course, uh, we have stopped that just because of our in-park collection animals. We didn't want to risk them uh, being contaminated. Okay. So Dr. Didaraco, what was the state of her baby? at the time of the rescue? So her baby was in excellent condition. This was a, a fat, happy little calf that looked mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, and I, I think when the two of them arrived on the truck, there there was a sense of, of everyone feeling kind of deflated. I think because of the extent of her injuries, I had been contacted earlier in the day and alerted that this animal was coming. And the expectation was that I would have to euthanize this animal because Mm. her injuries were so devastating. Talk about those injuries. How, when you first saw her, what, what was going through your head? Well, of course I I was hopeful because sometimes you'll, you'll get, uh, you know, some information and, and it's not quite what was described when you see it in person. So when the expectation was that this animal would be euthanized, uh, my first thought was, well, let's just see when she gets here and we'll take a look. But when I stepped onto the truck, it was shocking. It was uh, one of the most catastrophic injuries I've ever seen on a manatee. Um, and so I, I could just kind of feel that the team that had rescued her was, you know, there's a sense of sadness. And, and I I give them so much credit for being able to carry out, you know, the rescue and knowing that there's a good chance it won't have a good outcome, but they have to do the right thing for her and for her calf. And so they were able to capture her and bring her into us. What were you looking at? What was the injury? So I will admit the injury was pretty catastrophic and it was so devastating that I would, I would almost call it gruesome. So um, I could tell that her shoulder was exposed and uh, it looked like she was no longer going to have a pectoral flipper. 
So you can see that they have two flippers that they use almost like hands. And they actually have pretty much the same bone structure that most mammals have and that we have. And um, some of her, her shoulder was actually exposed and I even saw the tops of some of her ribs. And I think uh, my colleagues will think it's insane that we decided to, to continue to, to move forward with this. But I saw the tops of her ribs and that means that her chest cavity is, is still looking good and everything's where it's supposed to be. So I knew we had a devastating injury where we would have to do multiple surgeries to essentially amputate what was remaining of her pectoral flipper. Um, but we were able to do that successfully. Ashley, what about you? When you first saw her, what what were you looking at? What were you intaking, I guess, in your in your brain and just seeing her? Uh, when I got on the truck as well, because I was there for the intake as well, and and we had all been briefed as well that this was po- possibly going to be a euthanasia case. Um, when I first saw her, honestly, I thought it was probably the worst thing I've ever seen in my career here, um, and that is over a, a decade at this point, close to 15 years, and it's the worst case I've ever seen. So in my mind, looking at it and not examining it to the depths of how Dr. Duraco did, just looking at it and the injury and looking at her, I thought, without a doubt, this animal is going to be euthanized and I'm going to be taking care of an orphan. So Dr. Duraco, when you and Ashley first get her, what's kind of like that first step? What's the first action that SeaWorld does in a rescue like this? So normally um, when an animal comes in and, and we see a, a variety of common cases um, and animals that have cold stress, entanglements, orphans, um, we may see boat strikes, uh, we may see pneumothorax cases. So usually right off the truck, we assess the, their condition, we get a good body weight on them, make sure that they're stable. And then uh, frequently I will usually do a quick physical exam, maybe take a blood sample and start the process. And then depending on the injury, um, I can also make the determination as to whether or not I'm starting any medication. We will usually hydrate the animal. Um, so Ashley and her teammates will will tube feed the, and provide some hydration for them. So those are kind of the normal things that we do at intake. And then as we get blood results, then from there, it kind of grows depending on the state of that animal. Do we need to do x-rays? What other diagnostics do we need, et cetera? So what did you have to do with her? Did she have to have, you know, some wound care, surgeries, anything? Yeah. So I think what shocked people the most was uh, initially I did think, shoot, I think this is a euthanasia case because it's so severe. But um, I decided to take a deeper look uh, at really assess the injury. And I talked to the rescuers. And some of the things that they told me were she didn't have any abnormalities with buoyancy. She was actually swimming away from them. And they said, you know, she wasn't easy to capture. So that was somewhat encouraging to me. And I could tell that this wound wasn't exactly brand new. She had been living with this for at least days, if not a few weeks. Um, So it was pretty messy, but once you get past the initial shock of looking at it, I really looked for, okay, is there anything here that tells me there's no way I can save this animal? And I thought maybe there's hope for her. I didn't see anything that meant that her chest or her abdomen were open. And that would be 
an end of story type of injury. But um, if this was really just, you know, muscle and bone and we just had to figure out how to get her to heal and control her pain and infection, then there was hope for this case. So I think everyone was a little shocked when I decided to say, you know what, we're going to take her off the, the boat or off the truck and we're we're going to give her a few days and try to learn as much as we can to make sure that this is a hopeless case. And if it's not, then we're going to fight for this animal. We're going to see what we can do. How does that make you feel, Dr. DeRocco, when you are just like, okay, everything you just said, you're like, we're going to fight. I mean, does your blood get pumping and your heart get racing? Like, I'm going to save her life. It, yes, but uh, there's a lot of gravity to that decision. And that, yeah. that's probably one of the hardest parts of being a veterinarian is that we have to make those decisions and they're not easy. And in this particular case, I knew that there was no way to save this animal without thinking outside the box because this was not a typical case. Looking at it, I knew we were probably going to have to try things that no one had ever tried before. And you have to also be very cognizant of the fact that are you prolonging suffering? Because that that's one of the hardest things that we do is we, we do have to end suffering. But um, in her case, I just really thought there was hope for this animal. So I thought, yes, this is going to be a very long, grueling road to recovery. But I think there's hope for a positive outcome. How many different types of animals have you worked with over the course of your career, would you say? Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> that's a tough question uh, because I've, I mean, my background, I've worked as a veterinary technician in small animal hospitals. I've worked as a veterinarian in small animal hospitals. Uh, I worked as a keeper at SeaWorld San Diego, and now I work as a veterinarian at SeaWorld Florida. So, gosh, probably hundreds to thousands, maybe. I don't know. That's amazing. So I was thinking earlier when we were talking about her baby, how then if mom is being helped and being rehabilitated and and is in so much, you know, work right now that she has to go through to get healing, how do you then kind of be mom to the calf and help with feeding and taking care of her baby? So the first thing we did um, that night when she arrives, we actually did a night watch. So um, Ashley and her her coworkers had to stay overnight and keep eyes on these animals because mom was in critical condition. And we also needed to know, is this calf actually nursing? Because if it isn't, then we need to take over uh, care of that calf immediately. And and Ashley can probably tell you a lot more about how that, that process um, happened and how they took over care of that animal. So with manatee calves, I mean, we unfortunately get a lot of orphans in. So calves for us are nothing out of the ordinary. And what we do for them is is almost the same with every single one. The nice part with this particular calf is that we did actually observe her nursing overnight. Now, how much milk she was getting from mom, we don't know. Um, we don't know if mom is producing a lot or what she's actually able to intake. Um, so the next day we did start tubing her a formula that we actually make for all of our calves here. And we make it um, very diluted in the very beginning because we want to make sure they're processing it first. And then over time, we'll start to add different types of plant-based oils to it to get it to mimic mom's milk the best way that we know how. Um, like I said, we've 
we've done a lot of calves here at SeaWorld and you know, we've had really high success rates with orphans coming in and being able to rehab them, tube them that formula, get them eating lettuce, and then of course release. Um, they are here for quite some time though, if they are an orphan without a mom, uh, just because they need to get that weight gain. But with her in particular, um, like I said, she did nurse, but because we didn't know how much she was getting, we did start supplementing her with that formula that we usually make. Mm-hmm. And then we did observe her nibbling lettuce pretty much that same month that she came in, which is a great sign for that baby. And that's what we want to see ultimately is we want to see them eating. That's something that we look for all the time when we're watching these animals is when they start eating, that gives us hope that these animals are going to make it out in the wild because the goal is not to keep them with us. Right, right. So then looking at her and the calf, is this a typical rehabilitation process or is this like a case like no other? Um, For the calf in particular, I would say it's, it's pretty common with... N- I mean, I hate to say common, but it is it how we are tubing, what we're tubing that animal. But because it's a mom and a calf, you know, you're not typically doing it in um, the same pool that we would with an orphan. Like we'll start to train uh, babies to be able to take a bottle so we don't have to tube them. With this animal, we weren't going to do that because she was still with mom. And as long as she had mom, we wanted to still give her supplementation with milk, but we didn't want to separate her from mom. Um, and so it was slightly different in terms of how she was getting the milk. As for mom on my end, um, tubing her and what we're tubing her was is really no different than any other animal. We're going to supplement them with the hydration, like Dr. Rocco said in the very beginning. And then we start to go to a gruel formula or a gruel, I should say, which is going to be like a mixture of spinach and and romaine lettuce, um, vegetation that, you know, that they are herbivores. And so we'll start to get her on the gruel. And the idea is hopefully once that starts hitting her stomach, she realizes that, hey, like my stomach's starting to feel better. Other things are starting to feel better and that she'll want to start eating on her own, just like her kid did. Mm. So how are they both doing now? How's mom and uh, baby or calf? Calf is still doing, is still doing great. So no longer tubing the calf. The calf actually was done being to back in September because it started eating really, really well back in July, I believe. And so since then it's had normal weight gains, which is something that we do as well as making sure that they're gaining uh, once we stop supplementing them. And that calf is doing absolutely fantastic. Good. If you would have asked me this question about two weeks ago with this mom, I would have said I have really nothing new to report with this animal, unfortunately. But because it isn't two weeks ago, I can happily say this mom started eating on October 30th, um, which is huge for us because at at the time when we wanted to start talking about this animal on my end, there was no progress of this animal. Um, you know, watching her every single day, not being interested in lettuce, not being interested in going over to the lettuce. The only thing different that we noticed with her was that she was swimming at least with her calf and her calf would eat lettuce, but she would just sit in the background and not do anything. So for us, that's, you know, it's nice that she's assisting her calf, but the calf doesn't need it at this point. Um, So she's being a good mom, but she's always been a good mom. Um, But once she started eating, that was definitely the, the, the breakthrough on our end that we're looking for. Now, as medically and, um, you know, that's all, you know, blood work and all that, that's going to be more of Dr. Duraco's expertise. But from our perspective, when we're watching her, the fact that she's eating on her own is a huge step for us. How long do you think it will be until she is fully ready to go? I think that's going to be determined on a bunch of different factors. If she continues to eat, we need to see positive weight gain with her. You know, she could be eating, but is she eating enough? We stopped tubing her about two weeks ago, I would say, is when we when we officially stopped tubing her gruel. Um, but she has to show that she's going to eat enough on her own to be able to make it out in the wild and not 
be supplemented. So she needs to keep gaining. Um, and then as blood work and all that still has to be clear, that's going to be something more Dr. Draco needs. We'll, we'll talk about. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> this animal has cleared some unbelievable hurdles in, in her recovery. Um, just to kind of summarize what we've done with her medically this particular manatee who came in probably at least around 15, 1600 pounds um, has been anesthetized a total of six times by our team. Uh, that's a lot. <laughs> a lot of people don't uh, commonly anesthetize marine mammals because there's a lot of risk associated with it. Um, I'm really proud of the work that we do here. We have teams between our veterinary and husbandry teams that are really good at this. And so we've been able to um, take this animal to surgery multiple times. It took us three surgeries to actually complete the amputation of her left pectoral flipper um, and her entire flipper. I don't believe that's ever been done before. Uh, many people have faced cases where they've had a partial entanglement and they've had to remove part of a pectoral flipper, but I don't know of anyone who's ever had to take the entire shoulder and everything, and, and we had no choice because that's where the worst of the injuries were. So um, the the hurdles that this animal has cleared are just amazing. I, I'm so inspired by her. And I'm not going to lie that I think Ashley was there the day I saw her eat one leaf of lettuce and I was a little bit emotional. So it is not common to have to nutritionally support one of our manatee uh, rehabilitation cases for, you know, five months. And that's a tough thing to ask our team to continue to do. Um, but when the light bulb comes on and things are working, it's, it's absolutely amazing. My goodness. This just gives me all the warm fuzzies and positive vibes of she's going to be okay. She's going to be okay. So, you know, I feel like since we've been taking this journey for over a year now on this podcast, I have learned so much about manatees and it is manatee awareness month. What do you want us and the listeners to know? Um, about manatees that maybe you think that we all don't know? This is a really unique species. Um, there are not a lot of places in the United States where you can see manatees. And Florida is really the, the hub of the Florida manatee. This is where you can come and see this amazing marine mammal. This is their natural habitat here in Florida. Um, but they do face a lot of challenges that I think we need to look out for. Um, certainly, boating uh, boaters out there need to be looking out for manatees and taking care of them. And we really need to think about their environment. Manatees are facing an unusual mortality event where they're literally, unfortunately, starving to death along the East mm -hmm. Coast. So it's really important that we think about how do we restore their natural habitat and make sure there's enough food out them out there for them to continue to thrive. Um, these are, are truly amazing animals. This particular animal is just just extraordinary in showing her will to live and, and um, the ability to come back from such a severe injury. Um, and I hope that she and her calf continue to do well. Well, what can we all do to help protect them? I think Dr. Rocha mentioned it um, the best way she can, boating. Boating is, is huge when it comes to protecting these, these animals. I'm, you know, Florida is a very touristed area, especially, you know, our, 
everyone comes here, beaches, and it, it's fun. But a lot of people don't know or have never seen a manatee before. You know, we have rehab collection here that, you know, every single manatee we have is technically a releasable animal. And that's what we want to do. But the benefit of having any of the animals that we have in this park is that people can see what they look like when they come in. You know, they have access to see our rehab pools. They can see what a boat strike animal looks like. They can see what an emaciated animal looks like. And I feel like when you see those kind of injuries or those emaciation cases, cases that you see, just see rib cages and you just see bone and you shouldn't see that on an animal like this, I feel like that's going to stick with people more. So as much as me, myself and my team, we want all animals to be released as fast as we possibly can. And I'm sure Draco can attest to that. We're constantly wanting them out. And it's because that's our job. Our job is we are a hospital. We are here and we we rehab them. We get them well. And then we want them to thrive in the, out in the wild, not with us. Um, but I think having the ability to see them here does take a, a, not a toll on people, but it allows people to see some of the hardships that they do face. And maybe they'd be more pro proactive and when they're out in the wild watching for these animals if they see what a simple boat strike can do to one of them. What do we do, though, if we see an injured manatee? So you'd actually contact uh, Fish and Wildlife, FWC. They're the ones who are going to be out patrolling. They're going to be the ones who would go and uh, assess the case. And they would be the ones who would contact SeaWorld. You actually cannot contact SeaWorld directly. It all has to go through FWC. If they go out and they observe that animal and they believe it is an animal that needs to be rescued, it needs to be rehabbed, that's when they will contact us to either set up a rescue with us or to let us know that they're going to be bringing an animal right to us. Dr. Stacey DeRocco and Ashley Kilo, thank you so much for being here. We always end our See the World time with the same question, what is the best thing you have seen in the world? But we wanted to switch it up this episode and ask you both, what is the best rescue of an animal you have seen in the world? This is a tough question because every rescue is such an amazing opportunity. Um, and I feel privileged to to have the opportunity to participate in trying to save these animals. But I think something that will always really hold a place for me, and this, I'm dating myself here, unfortunately, but uh, <laughs> if you look up or if you've ever heard of an animal called JJ the gray whale, um, I was fortunate enough to be a keeper when JJ the gray whale was rescued in the late 90s by SeaWorld of California. And I helped take care of that animal and watched uh, her return and participated for a little over a year. So the ability to rehabilitate a California gray whale was just a spectacular experience. And I think some of what made it so spectacular, other than the fact that she was just an amazing creature, was um, how the company pulled together, the community pulled together. There were so many people rooting for this animal, and it was amazing to see. She had people coming from all over to visit her because she was so cool. So that one is going to stick with me for the rest of my life. Dr. DeRocco, I will admit with you that I am also going to age myself because I am from California. So I do remember hearing about that many years ago. I didn't, that's amazing that that was you. Thank you for, for that because that was an amazing story. I would say that's actually a, a quite a tough question because we do a lot of rescues and a lot of them are memorable. Um, and it's hard to pick just one. So I'll generalize it a little bit more because I don't have one specific. But I would say a lot of the orphan manatees that we bring in. And there is one in particular for me. Um, but when they come in, they come in, 
you know, very skinny, very malnourished, and it is around the clock care. It is like having a newborn. Um, and I have a baby, so I can attest to that. It is around the clock care. It's every three hours they need milk. And it's not just here, take this bottle. It's no, you're getting in a pool with them. You're catching them. You're, you know, having to tube them in the beginning, but it's midnight. We're here 3 a.m. We're here. So you are with them for so long in their rehab process. And then they're also with us for a couple years because they have to gain so much weight before they can be released. So you you grow more attached to, I would say, the orphans. And so a lot of the orphans are, are memorable for myself. And I can probably say to a lot of my team as well, just because of the amount of work that they take, they take over your life pretty much because you're here all the time. This is where you live. Mm. Well, I am completely blown away by both of you, also in your team and this story and just the amazing work that SeaWorld has done for this animal, as well as really all rescue animals in your care. So thank you. I'm Cindy Simmons and join us on the next See the World. As always, be sure to check out SeaWorld.com, select your favorite park to stay in the loop on all of the great things happening at SeaWorld. And lastly, it would also mean the world to me if you subscribed, left a review, and shared this podcast with all of your wonderful friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next time. <laughs>